0: Welcome to the how to be awesome at your job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning and money with your host, Pete Makaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 287. I've been excited to chat with these gals for a while because I've heard from a few listeners like Beth and more that you love the podcast, Being Boss. Well, we got some boss ladies here, Emily Thompson, Kathleen Shannon, sharing some perspective on how you can be more boss, even if you got a boss. So you'll learn one, the benefits of creating monthly intentions, two, how to set boundaries and stick with them, and three, how to have healthy dialogues with your boss. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced You'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F287. Now here is Kathleen and Emily's story. Kathleen Shannon and Emily Thompson are self-proclaimed business besties and hosts of the top right podcast, Being Boss. They know what it takes to launch a business, do the work and be a boss in work and life. They're both successful independent business owners and Emily and Kathleen started their podcast in January of 2015 to talk shop and share their combined expertise with other creative entrepreneurs. So big thanks to Emily and Kathleen for taking some time to chat. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here are Emily and Kathleen. Kathleen and Emily, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Pete, we are so excited to be here. For sure. We are ready to tell people how to be awesome at their job.
1: Beautiful. Well, you've been doing it for a while and you do it in style with fun. I bet your branding, well, that's what you do. It's so awesome with regard to the colors and the photography. And it says boss through and through.
0: Our brand board was like Lisa Frank meets The Craft. Like that witchy 90s movie. (laughs) 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 Basically.
2: basically.
0: (laughs) You know...
1: (laughs) When you say it that way, it kind of makes me look at like the purple smoke <laughs> in a different light. And do you see it in the <laughs> yeah. way?
0: Like like there's going to be a unicorn flying through and a tarot reader and a crystal ball.
1: <laughs> oh, that is fun.
0: We might make it rain. <laughs> 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 Definitely make
1: it rain. Oh, that's nice. double meaning there. I much appreciated.
0: Exactly. Oh, I'm glad that you got that. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, so I'm excited to get into so much good stuff. And so I learned, Kathleen, you shared that uh, you like to work in complete silence. What's the story here?
0: I know. So you asked me one thing that people might not know about me. And as Emily knows, and as our listeners over at Being Boss know, I'm kind of an open book. Like I'm probably talking about things I shouldn't be talking about. But the thing I think that people don't know about me is that I work in complete silence. And I definitely give off this vibe that I'm this like, crazy, cool, creative, at least... That's the vibe I hope I'm giving off. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I find myself working in complete silence because whenever it comes down to getting focused and doing the work, I find myself even listening to ambient music, tuning it out. And so it becomes this extra distraction that my brain is having to work around in order to do the work. So I just think it's maybe the one thing that people don't know about me is that it is dead quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Whenever I'm working.
1: Intriguing. Well, so that how do you enforce quiet around you? I mean, isn't noise just going to happen? Like I shopped around at length to find a sound blocking door. (laughs) So I totally resonate with this. So what are your tricks?
0: Well, so I do work from home and my kiddo is in full-time daycare. My husband is at his day job. And so I am completely alone during the day at my home office. And this is part of the reason why I decided to work from home and not go to a co-working space. I do have an agency. So I live outside of Detroit and I have an agency located in Oklahoma City, where all of my partners and employees work. And I did build out in that space two little office spaces with doors and soundproofing for podcasting and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I have like a spray bottle to keep my cats away from me. And that's about it. That's how I enforce it. <laughs> it's just like in the decisions that I've made along the way, I suppose, you know, because at some point, like every creative does kind of have to decide like, oh, am I lonely being all by myself at my house? Or should I go to a co-working space? Should I go to a coffee shop? And I certainly have the tools. I used to work in an open office space before I started working for myself. And so I can go to a coffee shop and tune things out. But I get so focused then that it's almost like silence where you have to get eye contact with me to make sure that I'm listening to you. Like I'm that focused
1: on my work. <laughs> I hear that when my wife comes in, sometimes I got the headphones and the noise canceling on and maybe even earplugs underneath the headphones straight up.
0: You're not messing around.
1: <laughs> and so It's all like be startled like, oh, <laughs> oh, there you are. <laughs> so I'm resonating. Thank you. And tell me. So Emily, how do you find yourself in the work group?
2: I'm pretty similar where I used to listen to music. The first time Kathleen told me that she worked in complete silence, I was shocked. Like similar where I thought she was probably just like dancing around her office, like listening to Beyonce (laughs) all day, every single day. And so whenever she told me she worked in complete silence, I was super shocked because... I, at that point, like to listen to music while I worked, but I have found myself as I've, I guess, grown in my like, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors where I'm responsible for all things like this sincere need to get super focused. And I can only do that when it's pretty quiet. Now, I do homeschool my child actually hear her in the kitchen right now banging like forks and plates around and I'm trying not to get too terribly annoyed at it. So I do have to drown out a whole lot of noise, um, but I've kind of gotten used to it. But otherwise, like pretty quiet. I'm not listening to music. I used to actually, here's a funny tidbit, though. I used to develop websites um, and that's what I did as I you know, began growing my online career. I do code best
0: when I'm watching TV. Intriguing. I was about to say that too, Emily. I feel like our jobs have changed where you used to be coding. I used to be doing a lot more graphic design and busting out that Bezier pin tool. Any designers listening know what that is. And like this kind of redundant work where you can listen to music or watch TV. That's my favorite is our days whenever I have to do some design and I'll sit down in front of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and just knock some stuff out. So now we do so much writing that I feel like it requires a different kind of focus where it's harder to drown out those outside noises. And it's harder to get that focus with background noise happening.
1: Mm -hmm. Understood. Yeah. Well, thank you for setting the stage here. And could you maybe continue that? But first, I want to make sure I first learned about your show from one of our mutual listeners. It's Beth in Baltimore. Can we just talk about how great she is?
0: Um, Yeah. Shout out Beth. High five. Thanks for spreading the Being Boss love for sure.
1: Cool. Shout out accomplished. So now tell us what's Being Boss all about.
0: Okay. So being boss well started as two business besties. That would be me and Emily. We were really craving that connection and conversation. And so, as we mentioned, we're working alone out of our homes, sometimes in complete silence. And that can get, you know, kind of lonely. So we became creative peers and colleagues whenever we were hiring each other for the work that we were doing. And beyond that, we started to connect on a more friend level. And we would hop on a video call and really talk shop. So after a year or two of over Skype, talking about what was working, what wasn't working, our conversations were getting deeper. We were talking about real numbers, like sharing money, which is kind of taboo. We were sharing our biggest secrets as far as like business secrets, the kind of stuff that people like to keep to themselves. We were sharing insights as to, you know, how we were juggling work and life and time management and growing families while growing careers. I mean, Emily was even there whenever I was like, okay, I'm thinking about starting a family. How am I going to make this work? And she's like, okay, you need to automate. You need to get some systems in place and you've got to put that kid in daycare. Well, that's (laughs) not entirely true because Emily homeschools, (laughs) but I definitely had to do the daycare. Anyway, all this to say... You know, we were having these conversations. And one day, Emily sent me an email saying like, Hey, you know those business bestie conversations we're having? We need to hit publish on them. We need to start a podcast. Other creatives are craving this kind of conversation and probably feel just as alone as we did. And we could be their work buddies. So our podcast, Being Boss, it really did catch on pretty quickly. And we became the go-to podcast for other creatives and aspiring entrepreneurs who wanted to hear some insights and real talk about what it takes to do the work. And do the work has essentially become our mantra because we all know making a living, doing what you love isn't always easy and it takes hard work. And that's the conversation that we have been having for the past three years.
1: That's awesome. But I thought I'd have seen several Facebook ads that tell me if I just follow this bulletproof system, I can make millions of dollars online easily working from home.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And how has that worked out for you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's like all the ads I get in Facebook. I guess I like some of the wrong things (laughs) that get me targeted for that.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are so many people in the online space or not even in the online space who, you know, have laid out these blueprints or plans or, you know, mapped out success in a way that, you know, if you follow them, you know, X, Y, Z, you'll get the thing that you want. Um, And Kathleen and I like, You know, we've done some of those probably back in the day. Like, here's how you build, you know, a six figure launch or whatever it is. And we quickly realized that that's not how the world works. Like, it only took us a time or two to realize that that's not how things go down. And that's really what a lot of those, you know, beginning conversations were, where, you know, here's the thing that I've tried. Here's what worked and didn't work. You do it. Find out what works for you. And then, you know, let's share back and forth. And we realized that you know, everyone's success is defined differently and therefore the path to your success is always going to be different from someone else's. And that's really been the core of what being boss is, is, you know, define success on your terms and then take the steps that you have to take to get there. And it won't look like anyone else's journey. It will look like your journey. And that's what makes it all the more special. Those blueprints and things like, you know, they may work for three or four people, which, you know, is great for those people. But buying into those things is a mistake when what you really need to do is, you know, define success on your own and
0: make it do the way you need to make it do.
1: Well said.
0: One of the things I always think about are working actors, like those actors that have tons of jobs, but you never see them as the lead role. But they're probably living a pretty nice life. And I kind of think of us as that as well. Like we are working creatives who are in it with you. We're not those million dollar overnight successes, but we're going to show you that you don't have to be a million dollar overnight success to do the work and do what you love.
1: Oh, I love that. That reminds me of the documentary. Maybe you've seen it. It was pretty engaging. It's called That Guy Who Is In That Thing. (laughs) It's all about those actors.
0: I love that.
1: Interviewee after interviewee, you're like, I kind of recognize that guy. He was in that thing. And he sort of talks about the struggle. And I love how you talked about defining success on your own terms, as opposed to just sort of knee jerk reacting to, you know, hey, quit your job, leave the rat race, you know, because for the most part. My listeners enjoy their jobs, you know, most of the time, or are actively trying to find a switch and and are finding some fulfillment and fun and flourishing, ooh, alliteration, in the world of being employed at a place as opposed to being sort of the owner-CEO. But nonetheless, you talk about boss in many ways as a mindset in your upcoming book, Being Boss. Could you unpack that a little bit?
2: Absolutely. I mean, for us... It all starts with mindset, with this sort of foundational belief that you can do whatever you want. You have the right and ability to divine things the way you want them to be. And then you have the ability to go make it happen for yourself. And so if you don't believe those things, it's not going to happen for you. It's really important to get into that right frame of mind um, in order to tackle, you know, all the challenges that come at you, whether that's creating your career or building your life and doing those in a way that you find fulfilling. So it's being confident. It's um, seeking out motivation and inspiration. It's, um, it's committing to setting and working towards you know really big ass goals or maybe not really big goals if, if you're not a super big goal kind of person. Um, and we also believe that a lot of it comes into trusting yourself, trusting that you're going to make the right decision um, and that you're going to be able to show up and do the work and get the thing. It, it all starts with that foundational mindset that you can do what it is that you want to do as long as you show up and do it.
0: Yeah, whenever I think about the boss mindset and of all the people that we've interviewed and even in our early conversations with each other, it's this idea of self-reliance, trusting that you're not going to have all the answers, but that you can absolutely figure it out And Emily talked about trusting that you can make the right decision. But I'm going to take it even a step further and trusting that no matter what decision you make, right or wrong, trusting that it's going to get you where you need to go. And so that definitely is that primary foundation that we always start with is mindset. Part of that is really understanding your values as well. And so this can be applied for people who are working for themselves or working in the context of an organization or a company where they are an employee. It's really understanding what you value and bringing intentions and action to those values so that you are living them out, not only in your life, but in
1: your work. Mm, I am loving that. And as you say values, you're firing off some connections for me thinking back to my coaches training institute training back in the day. How would you define a value? And can you give us a couple examples of what a value is? And what's not a value? Like, hey, you said that as a value, but that doesn't quite sound like a value.
2: Sure. I mean, values are sort of the foundational beliefs that you sort of build your own character. So for me, you know, I value freedom where whenever I am going out into my work um, or even my life, like that's something I'm consistently seeking. It's something that I value seeing in other people. Whenever those opportunities are presented to me, those are more intriguing than the ones that aren't. Um, For me, something that I value is freedom. And, And everyone has values, whether you value, you know, kindness or assertiveness, or Kathleen, feel free to jump in with, with any yeah. So
0: one. one of my biggest values is authenticity. And I know that's a word that is being really used a lot lately, but I can't think of a better word for it. And it's one that resonates with me. So this is another thing whenever it comes to values is choose words that resonate with you, like on that yeah. kind of cellular level, because there are a lot of words that mean the same things. And so once you start to unpack your value, really explore all the words that are similar to that value or synonyms with that value. And so mine is authenticity. And that is really, whenever I unpack that a little bit, it's being who you are 100% of the time. And as I've gotten a little bit older and hopefully wiser, I've realized that being who you are 100% of the time takes a lot of self-awareness and it takes a lot of questioning and curiosity. So I would also say being who you are 100% of the time and seeking out who that is. So for me, anything I create, I use my values as a guidepost for making those hard decisions. So I think that decision making is one of the hardest things whenever it comes to being your own boss or even making tough decisions about if you're working a day job, whether or not to leave or to switch careers or to switch companies. And so for me, I run every single decision I have to make through the question, is this going to help? my, you know, listeners, readers, whoever's consuming or engaging with me in any way, be who they are 100%. And if the answer is no, I'm not going to do it. And if the answer is yes, all right, let's go. And so for me and Emily too, we both use values as a way to really set boundaries in our business and to really draw that line between what we're willing to do and what we aren't willing to do.
1: I think that's so good. That point about thinking about what resonates at the cellular level and thinking through some synonyms, because, you know, I think I might say integrity. I think we'd all agree. Yes, that's important. Integrity is good. You know, but for me, if I think about synonyms, I think about count honorable, which is a little weird way to articulate it. (laughs) Nice word. But it resonates more. It's like, I want to be someone that can be counted upon as opposed to, oh boy, that flake, you know? Yeah, totally. And so it just resonates more. And I think it's powerful in terms of making them all the more real and exciting as opposed to just sort of obligatory. Like, yes, I should do that because that's a value as opposed to, ooh, this is how I roll. So I'm fired up about it.
0: Oh, yeah. It should absolutely be something that you're fired up about. And This is a monthly practice for us, if not daily. But every month, Emily and I set intentions. And this might... Sometimes we do use the word value and intention interchangeably. But the way that we like to think about it is that intentions help you bring actions to your values. So we'll set intentions every month. And I think what was mine last month was to rally. And to really just so another word for that could have been reliable, like I want to be really reliable this month. But really, I really wanted to rally and bring enthusiasm. And for me, it had this whole other kind of energy beyond reliability that really resonated with me. So we like to also do this on a monthly you know, basis to explore new values and to really test some out and see what sticks and see where we could work on our own character by bringing in more of these intentions into kind of a practice in our personal lives and in our business.
1: Oh, those intentions, that is powerful. And one of our best episodes, it was how to have a good day with Caroline Webb. And it's so powerful. When you set an intention, all sorts of things go off in your brain in terms of what opportunities you notice and the decisions you choose to make in each of those opportunities. It's a little thing, but it really has profound cascading ripples that go down when you're living life.
2: Absolutely. I think the most, um, the most I ever. I don't know, it sort of got out of intentions or I guess the time that I realized they were probably so powerful. Several years after, you know, Kathleen and I have sort of had this intention practice for a couple of years now. We share them with each other. We hold each other accountable. We're always cracking jokes about, you know, having adopted the other one's intention or whatever it may be. Um, I was listening to the Making Oprah podcast and... One of the episodes of that podcast was when Oprah decided to start adopting an intention practice and she made her entire team at Oprah do it and everything they did had to be based on some sort of like, you know, intention, like there had to be a good reason for doing everything that they did and you know, how much of her sort of life and success she has placed on this adoption of an intention setting practice. I was like, well, if Oprah can do it and like and be Oprah, then this has to be super powerful. And it gave me a whole other level of appreciation for this practice that Kathleen and I have sort of kind of accidentally fell into. Um, But we definitely see how profound and life changing and business and career changing it can be.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. And I'd like to get maybe a little bit even more sort of tactical into the day in, day out in terms of if someone is at a job, what are some of your top tips for being more boss-like or some top boundaries that might make great sense to set right away?
0: Oh, I've got one. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I do. I do. This is to stop checking your email in the evenings and on weekends. There it is. Yeah. So I mean, that's it. And so it's funny because whenever we were writing our book and running the first draft by our publisher, our editor said, hey, what about emails? Like, how do you pry yourself away from your email? And this is something that Emily and I do not have a problem with. We are not slaves to our email. And I think it is because of some of those early foundational boundaries that we set in place. So it's just kind of a non-issue. We forgot that some people might even have an issue with that. And so we really thought it out. And I think that this applies applies to anything though, like anything that is capturing your attention that you don't want to be giving, right? And so I think that email is a huge one. So really tactical, turning off the alerts on your phone for email. Like it is not a text message. Don't open your computer. Like you don't have to check your email. And I think that this can be hard too, because a lot of it is setting those boundaries with your coworkers and that can be really tricky. But one of my favorite mantras is it's only as weird as you make it. Mm. And so if you can be strong enough to set this boundary and just say, no, it's actually more weird to check your email in the evenings and weekends, then you can just own it. And that's a big part of being boss is just owning who you are and owning that time. And so another thing that I do and I, I've been doing this since I've had a day is scheduling time for myself on my calendar and like literally putting in a meeting on my Google calendar and pretending as if it's the most important meeting of the day. Because so often we treat, you know, our deadlines and our client meetings way more important with more importance than our own meetings. And so for me, I'm scheduling every day, my daily workout. And I've been doing this since I had a day job. So And I have a kid and I can still squeeze it in. And so one of the things that Emily and I are constantly talking about is your to-do list will fill up with as much time as you give it. And so I just give it a little bit less time and I prioritize myself and I find that I'm more productive whenever I do that. So I would say scheduling time for yourself on your calendar is another really great boundary that is like you can literally see that boundary. And then also looking at your calendar can help you see what you value and if what you value and where your intentions are, aren't being reflected in your schedule, it's time to update something.
1: Mm, I like that. Emily, more.
0: <laughs> sure. <I'm> demanding, <laughs>
2: right? We have this. We have this little exercise that we have people do occasionally. I even think it's in the book where we tell people to write their own um, sort of employee handbook for themselves. And you know, if you are an employee, you have an employee handbook, but it probably does. Oh, actually, I think number one is actually read your employee handbook if you if you haven't already. If you're not super familiar with it, to really see where the lines are already drawn because those boundaries are so important. And, you know, if you have a boss who's overstepping those boundaries, or if you have a coworker who's, you know, trying to like nudge you into, you know, showing up too early or staying too late too often or whatever it may be, like knowing what the employee handbook already says can be super helpful for helping you draw those boundaries. But I also like the exercise of you know, creating your own employee handbook, like what is not outlined in that employee handbook that you need to outline for yourself. And whether that is, you know, stricter communication boundaries, or making sure you're giving yourself like an extra 15 minute like moment in the afternoon to regroup so that you can really give the rest of your day the best you've got. Um, Defining some extra rules for yourself so that you can really show up and do the best work that you can do.
1: I love this. And I'm just sort of imagining how it can play out in practice in terms of with the email. If there's resistance, like, no, I can't. I mean, I think you could just have some candid, honest conversations like, hey, you know, I'm trying to unplug and be more present to my family. So, you know, I'd really appreciate it if something's super urgent that you'd give me a call or text message if it's in the evening time. And and there you go. I mean, it's kind of hard to override that.
0: Okay. Unless, uh, you know what, unless you're a doctor, <laughs> unless you are saving lives. And then at that point, you're also on call and getting paid for that. Like there is no emergency. And Emily used to deal with this a lot with launching websites. I mean, people act like that is a life or death situation and it just isn't. I love it. Keep it coming. Maybe this is some tough love here, but I don't want anyone texting me either or calling me. I don't even want them to have my phone number.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's looking at the the points in your work where there is pain and def- trying to define your way out of that pain. So whether it is like if you are getting text messages from your boss and you don't want text messages from your boss, tell your boss to stop texting you or you know whatever it may be or maybe it's a coworker or or whatever the case may be i think those boundaries those boundaries are super important and they keep you really good at your work and not resentful of the relationships that you have at work i also want to point out here that people will only take your boundaries as seriously as you do. So if you say, I won't be emailing on the weekends anymore, but you're sliding out week- emails on the weekend, then no one's going to respect those boundaries. So you have to hold those, you know, to the highest standards as you set them and people will follow suit. Um, I've even found, I've had people asking before, you know, do people do, you know, your, your employees or the people you collaborate with, do they have issues with your email policies? Because Kathleen, and i are not emailing you know outside of regular 9 to 5 business hours and people would assume that like That the people we work with struggle with that or have issue with it. What we've actually found is that people respect us more, and they definitely respect those boundaries because we know what we need to do to get the job done. And that does not mean responding to an email at 9 p.m. We'll be there at 9 a.m. to respond, and you'll get us fresh and ready to go. And you know, we'll have really great relationships in the life outside of work as well. It really only you know holistically makes the entirety of our efforts better by putting
0: those boundaries in place. Okay, I want to mention that Emily has been her own boss like forever. And I <laughs> do come from an agency world where I did have a boss. So if if any of your listeners are like, Oh my gosh, there's no way I can tell my boss like, Sorry, I'm not responding because I know that that can be tricky. I think for me, the hardest thing is, you know, what you don't say, right? And so you can respond to the text or to the email On Monday morning at 8 a.m. or whatever your working hours are. And so then that's a more subtle clue as to here are the times you can expect me to respond. And then I also think that being really fully present and working your ass off while you're at work and really staying focused means that you're going to get more done in that time and you're going to be more present for your coworkers and your boss and whoever else during that time that they'll start to see like, oh, maybe this actually works. This whole work life, you know. Being intentional in all the places, kind
1: of thing. And I appreciate that you brought that into real experience if folks are having some resistance to this notion. And I could think of a person, Kelsey, who told me just that. It was like, oh, you're in consulting. How huh? is that really draining you? I'm just like, well, you know what? I just kind of told people, you know, how I work best and it works. And it was, it was almost like, whoa, you can do that. And so I'd love it if you could maybe bring in some additional experiences for maybe your listeners or those you've interacted with who are in jobs who have had a kind of a case study or or success with this?
0: We Um, talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, (laughs) but one thing I was going to say, as Emily was sharing earlier with your writing your own employee handbook, one of the things I have found to be really helpful in my own business is creating my own policies and saying things like, Hey, it's not my policy. I'm just going to keep using email as an example since we're there, but this could apply to a lot of things like, Hey, it's not my policy to work for free, or it's not my policy to email on the weekends. Um, And so I wonder if there's something a way that, you know, if you are working a day job, like really think about your own policies and even using that verbiage to go with your boundaries might be really helpful for you. And so... I am married to a guy who has a day job and it's been stretching him recently and it's been kind of tricky navigating because you want to please the people that you work with. You want to be a good employee. You want to show that you're enthusiastic and that you're in it and that you're a team member, but you also have to show them that you are a responsible parent or you're a responsible husband and you've got more obligations or you know even if you don't have kids or a wife or any of that you do have a life outside of work and so i think that a good thing whenever it comes to that that you can do is kind of blend like instead of this work life balance and separation is blend a little bit of it and so maybe even sharing with your coworkers what you're doing outside of work and really just setting the stage and saying hey I'm going to go pick up my kid or I'm going to go hiking on the weekend. And I think whenever you can do that, it can help them get a sense of who you are outside of work and make them respect that time even more.
1: Absolutely. And I've noticed that often other professionals will have sort of a respect or awe or admiration for, well, good for you. You know, I'd really like to do that myself. And sometimes if it's kind of heavy, you know what you're dealing with, like, hey, you know what? My mom is sick, and so it is really important to me to be able to spend some extra time, you know, because we don't know how much time we have, or, or there's a hospital, or even with a hiking example, it's like, I find that I am so much more brilliantly refreshed and creative at work if I'm able to do this. So everybody wins if this works out.
2: Right. And and I want to point out here that the key here is communication. It's it's talking about what it is that you're doing and how it is that it helps you, you know, be better at your job. And I can't I can't speak a lot to, you know, what it's uh, to having conversations with people who have day jobs. But I do know that as a boss of people who like I'm providing their day job, um we talk about those kinds of things all the time. And you know, I do prompt a lot of it because I do understand how that makes for a much healthier work environment. For for all of us, but they also bring those sorts of things to me. And I'm super cognizant of the fact that, um, that they're, are ways in which people are more efficient and more effective. And those are the sorts of things that I want to nurture. I recently had one of our um, employees who's actually a contractor come to us recently and say, you know, I think that I would be more effective if I were to focus on working at Being Boss on Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and leaving Thursdays and Fridays open for other endeavors that I'm working on. I was like, great. Like, that's absolutely fantastic. You know, we can adjust some things to make sure that we're, you know, only relying on you on those three days. And it wasn't an issue. It was clear communication. If she had, you know, stopped showing up on Thursday and Friday, or, you know, was only like half putting in the work on, you know, any of the days that would have been, you know, negative. um, It would have had a negative effect on what it is that we're trying to build together. But it's just that direct and clear, concise communication that is appreciated and effective and allows us all to move forward and creates an organization where we're all working better for it. I think very often, you know, even in large organizations, people think that their efforts, you know, don't affect everyone or that, you know, their hike on the weekend isn't going to make anyone's job better but their own. But the truth is that it affects everything. You're a a part of a larger system. And the more you can really give to that part, whether it's your communication or your undivided attention or, you know, your best self, because you took that hike, um, the better off everyone's going to be for it.
1: Mm, I love this stuff. Thank you. Well, to shift gears, I know you've got some great wisdom in the realm of confidence and dealing with fraudy feelings. What are some of your pro tips there?
0: Ooh, I've got one. So I love it whenever I need to cultivate confidence or overcome what we call fraughty feelings, which is kind of imposter syndrome, is to throw a dinner party. And so for me, this is kind of calling on my inner mentors and... I pretend as if I'm hosting a dinner party with these people who can give me boss advice and really guide me in like this super mentored way into where I need to be going. And so if my dinner party includes Beyonce, Neil deGrasse Tyson maybe Bill Nye, the science guy. I've got a couple of scientists there. Um, Maybe a comedian like Dave Chappelle. So I've got a few guests at my dinner party and you might be thinking like, wow, Kathleen's super connected and I'm not, (laughs) I'm not. This dinner party exists only in my head, but it really does help me cultivate this confidence of what, what kind of advice would Beyonce give me if I feel like I'm struggling with, having a hard conversation with a business partner or what kind of... And it's really fun to like kind of almost play it like an ad lib game or having unexpected people give you unexpected advice to the problems that you're trying to solve. So like how would Neil deGrasse Tyson say, how would he help advise me in solving this design problem, you know, and it can really lead to some creativity and innovation. And whenever you're feeling creative and curious and innovative, there is no room for feeling bad or feeling sorry for yourself or having frotty feelings. Like at that point, you're energized and excited just to make the thing. And so that's how I like to do it.
2: Love that Kathleen, your fake dinner parties. Um, I like to be a little more practical. I think Um, I always look at proof. So one of the things that Kathleen and I say to each other and ourselves consistently is I can do hard things. And we know this because we've done it. We can look at the past at what it is that we've built. And I imagine anyone listening to this, like You've done something hard in your life at least once or you probably wouldn't be, you know, listening to this podcast on that cool device that you have in your hand or in your pocket or whatever wherever it may be. You can do hard things. So if I ever need to bolster my confidence and, you know, and get something done that I maybe haven't done before, or it seems a little daunting, or, um, you know, I'm trying to tell myself that I'm not going to be able to accomplish it. I always look back at all the things that I have done. And if I can't do it for myself, I call up a friend or, you know, pour a glass of wine and go talk to my, my partner, David, and we will, um, we'll go over some of the things that I've done, whatever I need to do to remind myself that this is just, you know, one more hard step on a very long path and journey of hard steps. Um, so it's not quite as fun as Dave Chappelle and Beyonce,
0: (laughs) but I find it just as useful. Well, and Emily, one of the things that you've always done that's really inspired me is to approach everything as an experiment and to know that you can test and change. And I think that whenever you approach a project as an experiment, rather than like, oh my gosh, this is my livelihood and I need to make some money. You're open to failure because like, aren't scientists looking to fail? Like, aren't they looking to prove themselves wrong? And so I think that that's what we're trying to do as well is really see what works and what doesn't through the lens of an experiment. Like this is a thing that we are trying. And yes, our livelihood does depend on it, but whenever we can get curious and be open to failing, we succeed nine times out of 10.
1: That is powerful. And I love that notion. I can do hard things It feels like a much more tangible and specific belief to cultivate as opposed to what you might call self-esteem or self-confidence. And this brings me back, boy, when I was a freshman in college, I remember I just kept getting rejected from stuff. (laughs) I wanted to join all these clubs and they wouldn't have me. And I was like, what the heck? I was such a rock star in high school. This is, this is bogus. And it really did kind of bring me down in terms of what you'd call self-confidence. And so I made a big old notebook. With bullet after bullet of cool things that I've accomplished. And if you sort of look at those as evidence points for not just I'm great, but I can do hard things. I think that's really galvanizing and resonating.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important. It's so easy to start beating yourself up and forget that you've gotten here because you did cool things or you did something. And the next thing is just the next thing that you have to overcome. Um, it's just an
0: easy, simple tactic for for getting you there. Mm-hmm. I got, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is that it's not supposed to be easy and no good story doesn't come without some challenges. And so we're on a hero's journey and that means that we're going to be falling on our faces sometimes and that's okay. Like we're supposed to.
1: Mm, that's is so good.
0: Um, my favorite
2: quote, it's not like, it's not even inspiring. It's one of those things that drives me a lot. And it's really funny. I also have to share the story that, that like surrounds it. And the quote is, look for what's different. Mm. And it came, from, um, it came from a teacher that I had once. And I think about this all the time. And it was in reference to looking for four-leaf clovers of all things. So we're like out in the schoolyard looking at clovers. And she told us to look for what's different because it's the four-leaf clover that's different from the three-leaf clovers. And I think about that all the time. And I know, I absolutely know that sort of that little mindset nugget that like that little just quote that seems so simple, um, is one of the things that's definitely brought me to where I am where, you know, it's not the, the 14 step blueprint that's going to make me 18 figures (laughs) or anything like that. It is the thing that's different that will take you down the path to what it is that you're supposed to do. So my, like the quote that I'm always thinking of is Dear Miss Thompson, because we did share a last name too, and that's just a whole other level of magic there. Um, (laughs) This idea that you should be looking for what's different, not
0: at what's the same. And is that how you find so many four-leaf clovers? Is that your secret? (laughs) That is my secret. I also just
2: shared the secret to how it is that I find four-leaf clovers
0: more easily than anyone I've ever met. (laughs) Wow. I love it. So mine is, I'm going to butcher his name, Johan Wolfgang von Goethe. And it is whatever you can do or dream you can begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it.
1: Mm, And it rhymes. Thank you.
0: How about a favorite book? Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. This one changed my life. And we're often asked what business books we recommend. And this isn't a specific business book, but it is one that will teach you the power of vulnerability and resilience.
1: And it has changed my life.
2: Mine's just Harry Potter. All of them, thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Thank you. And could you share a particular nugget that really seems to connect and resonate with your audience? You hear them quoting it back to you often
0: do the work. It's so funny. Whenever we were writing our book, we were asking our audience, like, is there anything that we have said that really stands out for you? And all of them said, you're constantly just telling us to do the work. And that means to get into that mindset, to get into your habits and routines and to establish those boundaries and to lean on your wolf pack and your tribe and your community and to really be who you are a hundred percent of the time in work and life. And that takes a lot of work but you can do it. So do the work.
2: I agree with that one, except I think I'll expand because one of the things that I feel like comes back to me often, I feel like there's been some Instagram graphics made out in the world um, where at one point I said, do the work is what happens between the wanting and the having. So a nice little definition there for, it's all the work that happens between wanting something and actually having it.
1: And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them?
0: Being boss. Boss. <laughs> club I was to say, www.beingboss.club <laughs> good job good job Tom. we've we've had our listeners get stressed out about the way I say www
1: I was thinking that I noticed that myself was like interesting choice
0: yeah 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 right <laughs> we have an interesting URL so I like to include the wWw for context but yeah that's where you will find us.
1: And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue forth to those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I
2: do. And (laughs) Kathleen, I look forward to hearing what you have to say about this one. One of my very favorite ones, and especially for, I think this is especially for people who have jobs because I think there are a whole other set of rules. It applies to both, but job people. I think I challenge people to say no three times
0: this week. Mm-hmm. Hmm. that one makes me start to sweat a little I bit.
2: I know it does. I know it does. I have a
0: Mine is going to be make space for what you want. So whether that is, you know, on your calendar or whatever that looks like for you, make space for what you want. I would say on your calendar and schedule it and make it happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Emily, Kathleen, this has been such a treat. Thank you for sharing the good stuff. I hope that your book is a smash success, and you keep on being boss and flourishing in all you're doing.
0: Thanks for having us, Pete. This was so much fun. Yes,
1: it's funny how such a simple motto, "Do the work," is pretty compelling, especially in those moments where, you're like, uh, I really don't, I don't feel like uh, dealing with this thing. Do the work. You know, it's sort of right there as a refrain, as a response to some of that internal resistance. Whether you are feeling scared or lazy or exhausted, a bit of encouragement that, hey, that's what is right there in the gap between the wanting and the having, doing the work. So, so handy. Hope you dug the chat with Emily and Kathleen. If you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at com slash ep287. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Chris DeFerrio. I was on his show, Keys to the Shop, a while ago, and now we are talking about some lessons learned from him in the coffee biz, specifically, and how to flourish when you are managing sort of newer or first time or first quote real job employees, how that's done masterfully